Hey, what's up, guys? Bill Brower with FMBA Nation. Uh, this episode, I had the privilege and honor to speak with retired Deputy Chief Anthony Avillo. Many of you know him from our FMBA Bulletin. He's a monthly contributor in the training notebook section. Uh, Chief Avillo is retired out of North Hudson Regional Fire Rescue. Uh, he has written many books for fire engineering and Penwell books and is the current director at Monmouth County Fire Academy. He's also an adjunct professor at Jersey City University's fire science program. We got to talk about uh, buildings that change the rules um, of the game and how they deserve our undivided attention whenever we're confronted with them at a fire incident. Uh, improper decisions have cost more than a few firefighters their lives in these occupancies, and failure to do a proper size up coupled with uh, the attitude of will we always do it this way and operation has and will continue to set the stage for a disaster. Uh, so for this reason, we must realize that we do not dictate the building. The building dictates to us what strategies and tactics must be pursued. And Chief Avillo goes into extensive detail on these types of buildings um, and what we need to be thinking about, both from a pre-planned perspective, but from an incident operation perspective. So without further ado, let's listen to FMBA Nation with Chief Avillo. All right, let me ask you a question. Are you like me and need a cup of coffee in the morning to get your day off to a good start? How about an afternoon cup of bean at the station? We all know that shift work is brutal to our sleep cycles and that we could use a cup of joe to give us that push through the shift. That's where our friends from Fire Department Coffee come in. Whether you're a firefighter, an EMT, or dispatcher, do yourself a favor and try them out. We have a special offer for our listeners and supporters. Go to firedepartmentcoffee.com, that's F-I-R-E-D-E-P-T-C-O-F-F-E-E.com, and use promo code NJFMBA for 15% off your next purchase. In addition, for every purchase made, Fire Department Coffee will donate 15% of the sale to our Mark Virag Memorial Cancer Fund. These guys are great people and are career firefighters themselves, just trying to make really good coffee to help us get through our next shift. So go buy some today, and don't forget to use promo code NJFMBA. All right, what's up, guys? This is Bill Brower with FMBA Nation, coming to you from the Pro Studios here in Rahway, New Jersey. I'm honored to be joined by a seasoned veteran, none other than retired Deputy Chief Anthony Avillo. He is a uh, monthly contributor to the FMBA Bulletin, uh, retired Deputy Chief out of North Hudson Regional Fire Rescue. He's uh, the director of Monmouth County Fire Academy and adjunct professor at New Jersey City University. And for those that know Chief Avillo, I mean, he's an expert in the fire service, uh, just a wealth of knowledge and information. He's published several books that have been uh, sent by uh, Fire Engineering, Fireground Strategies is one of them. Um, you know, Chief, thank you for taking the time out of your day to sit and talk to me. This is uh, an absolute honor and pleasure for me to uh, speak with you about this stuff. So um, I'm really hopeful that the uh, listeners get a lot out of this. Thanks, Bill. This is, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I love the FMBA. I've been an FMBA guy my, my entire career. Um, we were uh, FMBA in Weehawken. We were FMBA in North Hudson. I know they're not FMBA anymore. I think some of them might be, but I'm not sure how that works. But um, 
Yeah, the FMBA has always been really good to me, and uh, I, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure for me to do it. Thank you. So, Chief, uh, I wanted to kind of turn back the clock a little bit. You know, uh, a couple Februarys ago, you had done a presentation at our educational convention, and one of the topics that you uh, had talked about were buildings that change the rules. Um, these buildings and, and these types of constructions that you lay out, how important are these for firefighters, both officers and firefighters, to understand and to um, be able to identify when they're out on the streets, when they're doing their pre-plans, and, and how do these buildings, these structures, uh, change the rules when it comes to firefighting and tactics and strategies? You know, I look at it as, uh, you know, you go to all different types of buildings, but treating every building like the same building is, at some point is going to, can create a very dangerous situation for the firefighters. The, the biggest issue that I see is uh, company officers have to really be on top of their game because, you know, in a career department, most of the time a company officer is going to be first on the scene. Volunteer, it's probably going to be a chief. And then, you know, maybe 15 minutes later, you got a company. But in a career department, within the first few minutes, you got a company officer. You probably might have two company officers there before the chief gets there. And you know, their recognition of a building that changes the rules, their understanding of, of occupancy, of construction, and, you know, what the limitations and the, uh, uh, you know, the advantages, disadvantages, the weaknesses, they have to understand those things in order to start the, the game off right. Um, one of the biggest problems happens is when they start the game off wrong, it's very, very difficult to play catch up or, you know, change the operation, at, you know, in midstream. I've, you know, as, as a chief, pulling up on the scene, I, I was always just hoping that my companies were doing the right thing, you know, by virtue of our, our scene assignment SOPs, it was always very similar, but, you know, depending on the building, hoping they were doing the right thing, and I didn't have to reset the operation, because once the chief has to reset the operation, it, it creates time, it creates more danger, you always need more people to reset an operation, um, you know, uh, and, and there have been, you know, numerous cases, for instance, large area buildings, you know, you look at Worcester, you look at uh, South Carolina, you, you look at guys that have gotten lost in these big area structures because they didn't go in with a lifeline. And the reason they didn't go in with a lifeline is because they never go in with a lifeline when they go into these types of buildings. And, you know, that should be standard equipment in a large area building, a lifeline, even when nothing's showing, the ladder company should be carrying a lifeline with them just in case they need to deploy it. But, you know, there, there are a lot of cases and examples. If you look at the different building types, I don't know if you're going to cover each one of them, you know, uh, of the buildings you change the rules of the game. Each one of them has a different sort of set of um, inherent limitations and, and dangers that if we, if we fight the fire the same way all the time, we sometimes get ourselves killed some of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh that's a, that's a great point. I do want to kind of touch on some of these buildings that you, you uh, pointed out and, and mentioned. Um, and I think they all, like you said, they all bring their own set of challenges. They bring their own set of uh, safety hazards, uh, their own set of strategies and tactics and how we're going to fight these types of fires and what kind of uh, obstacles we could be facing, um, you know, it's always a, uh, an uncertainty, an unknown. Something might look like uh, a certain type of building from the outside. When you get in there, you know, who knows what's been going on uh, since that building was originally constructed, right? So uh, you could have hybrids, you could have uh, complete 
renovations, something that might look like your typical compartmentalized uh, building or residential house could have now an open floor space because that's the in, in thing. The trending thing is is mm. you know floor, floor space. Um, so let's talk about some of these things, some of these uh, buildings that change the rules. Um, one of the first ones that comes to mind is lightweight construction. Uh, we know that this is an absolute killer in the fire service. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, the types of uh, materials that were being used, even even longer than that, the types mm -hmm. of materials being used were, um, you know, were more substantial um, and, and different uh, building strategies and, and and techniques. Um, tell us about lightweight construction. How is how are these types of buildings uh, one of the ones that changes the rules in terms of our strategies and tactics? Um, well, I think the most important thing is to recognize when a building has lightweight construction. And you may not know it as soon as you see it. I mean, you might surmise it, but the only way to do that is to go in and actually look. Remove a ceiling tile, pull a ceiling in an area that's not involved, check the basement, check the attic, Take a look and see, you know, that there's no excuse for saying, oh, we didn't think there was lightweight construction here. But the, the biggest problem with lightweight construction, uh, obviously, is, you know, there's the collapse standpoint and the, uh, the collapse time frame. Uh, and to be honest with you, I have never seen one collapse in five to 10 minutes. Uh, the Rock Harbor fires, we had, I had two major fires there. They collapsed in the car for 40 minutes, but I'm not going to be the one to sort of, you know, challenge uh, that that potential, you know? The, the biggest problem is that um, structures today are engineered. Um, years ago, they weren't engineered, they were overbuilt because we just didn't have the same sort of know-how. So, you know, they recognize that a, you know, a two by, uh, you know, a, a one and three quarter by three and three quarter, you know, beam can hold up the same amount that an old, you know, two by 12 could hold up, you know, so they can use that. So you know, you're using engineered uh, materials, you're using, you know, glue lambs, and you're using all, you know, lightweight uh, fasteners. And, uh, you know, the problem with that is if you had a, uh, a roof that had, you know, nice big solid, you know, uh, three by 10 joists in there, and, and one of them burned through, or you happen to cut through that, first of all, your saw is not getting all the way through that thing, but you happen to cut through it, the roof's not gonna collapse. You know, you might get a little localized area, like, you know, a guy will step through it, but, you know, a guy's not falling through it. The, the trusses and the things that are, going, are being made today are designed only to hold up the area that they are actually in. So, for lack of, a, of an argument, if, if one truss is designed to hold up 100 pounds a square foot, and there's a truss, you know, uh, two feet away from it, and that's supposed to hold up 100 pounds a square foot, and one on the other side, and so on, if this one fails in the center, the ones on the sides are not designed to hold up 150 pounds a square foot. And the ones next to them are not designed to hold up, you know, 300 pounds a square foot. So you wind up with these catastrophic floor collapses. One of the things we did see in the Rock Harbor fire. And it was because, you know, the, the stuff is not designed to hold up anything, but what the engineers say it should hold up. And it's even the same if you look at a truss. You know, you have the, the top and bottom cord, you have the web members, you know, like the the web member may hold up, you know, the, the vertical may hold up like 50% of the truss while the web members may be like 30 and 30 or whatever it happens to be. If one of those pieces is compromised, the truss is now only 85% strong or 70% strong when it's, it will only stand up when it's 100% strong, you know? So this is one of the biggest problems. And, and you know, from a, 
working below them standpoint, from working on top of them standpoint, you shouldn't be on them, you shouldn't be under them. The first thing you have to do is you have to take a look and see if they're involved or threatened to be involved. And if that's the case, the flags have to go up and we have to take some additional cautions. I'm not saying pull everybody out of the building. I'm saying find a defendable space. Hey guys, Bill Brower here with FMBA Nation. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about ServPro of Central Union County and Western Essex County. These guys are a trusted leader in the restoration industry. They provide 24-hour residential commercial services with highly trained restoration technicians. They're a locally owned and operated business, and they're dedicated to being faster to any size disaster with the training, equipment, and expertise to handle your restoration and cleaning needs. Some of the things that they cover are water damage restoration, fire damage restoration, mold remediation, storm damage restoration, cleaning services, and building services, to name a few. These guys understand the stress and worry that comes with a fire or water damage and the disruption it causes to your life and home or business, and their goal is to help minimize the interruption to your life and quickly make it like it never even happened. Our friends over there, Carl Spinner and Bob Morrison, Carl has over 25 years of experience in the industry. Bob Morrison has over 35 years of service industry sales experience. So don't hesitate to give them a call. You can reach them at 908-233-7070. Try and knock the fire down in a, in a sane and safe manner using the reach of the stream, and then make a good assessment of, of whether we can continue in that area. Unfortunately, some people go in with blinders on. They only know one way. You know, let's let's stampede 12 firefighters in there. Let's beat the crap out of the room. And then, you know, uh, the fire is compromised. The lightweight truss and there's a, a wall unit up above it. And now the wall unit comes through the floor and he kills three firefighters. You know, I saw a, uh, and I'm rambling a little bit, but I saw a uh, Vinnie Dunhead uh, put out and, uh, 63 firefighters were killed in trust-related collapses. Um, I believe it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the numbers. I actually have them on my computer, but uh, Vinny Dunn just on Facebook put this out yesterday. Uh, obviously 16 were killed in three bowstring trust collapses in the metropolitan area. But he said something, he said it was something like 63 firefighters and those are the ones that we know were killed that way. How many close calls do you think there are? So when you have lightweight construction, it's nothing to fool with. Understand if you have a defendable space in that building, we may be able to get away with trying to stop that fire. If the fire is in the truss and there are no defendable spaces, now we have to figure out like in Edgewater, there were no defendable spaces there. That fire roared through that cockwa. In the Rock Harbor job, we had defendable spaces. The buildings were a little offset. They did have common areas. We were able to stop that fire, but you have to know your buildings. You have to do good recon. And you have to understand that the trust will kill firefighters, will continue to kill firefighters if they treat it like, you know, a, an old, a regular building, for lack of a better term. Ordinary. Uh, yeah. Uh, talk about uh, large um, information. Tell me what types of things to pay attention to in large area structures. Obviously, you know, you've got uh, these buildings, most of them are single, uh, single floor. They could be, you know, uh, anywhere from 12 to 20 feet high, sometimes in some cases larger. You're typically mm -hmm. with like a metal deck roofing with some steel web uh, tr uh, 
choice and whatnot up top. Uh, tell, us, tell us about some things that we need to be concerned with when it comes to large area structures. Well, um, you know, and, and I, I'm a descendant of Vinnie Dunn, you know, so a lot of the stuff I talk about, I've heard probably from him. But, you know, listen, large area structures carry the, the, the one-two punch of not only being a big building, that's usually wide open, but also have trust construction. So there's a one-two punch there. Um, the biggest problems with those buildings, number one, is pulling an inch and three-quarter line in there. Uh, a pre-connect, even worse, you know, and, and departments pull those lines in all the time only because that's what they always do. And they get away with it and the chief offices allow it. And again, the, um, when you have a, a company officer pull on the scene and do the wrong thing, it's very difficult to reset that. Um, the other thing with that is, is I talked a little bit about the lifeline, but, you know, if you really think about it, we get guys lost in 10 by 12 rooms. And in a 10 by 12 room, you have a window probably within five feet of wherever you happen to be. In these large area buildings, you do not have a window anywhere near where you are, unless you're very, very lucky. We have to understand that. We have to understand that you go into a building that's a large area structure, and I mean big by bigger. And you know what I talk about where the policy should be? Any room that is bigger than a normal residential room, like a 12 by 16 room or, or 10 by 14 or whatever, Firefighters should be thinking about bringing a lifeline. That includes every commercial structure. That includes every basement incident. That includes every warehouse and whatever uh, large area buildings that you have. The, the, and lifeline operations are very difficult to do, even when you do them right. But I would rather have a lifeline deployed uh, sloppily and still have a way for my guys to get out. Or you tell everybody, tether off on a hose line. Don't come off the hose line. Um, you, you saw what happened in, uh, in Worcester, Mass. Um, and the interesting thing about Worcester Mass was uh, uh, about six months later, Jersey City had a fire in a warehouse right by the Holland Tunnel that was an identical building to that. And Jersey City had learned some of the lessons that happened in Worcester. And their policy there, or the, the st strategy there was, you know, we're going to go in and see if we can find this fire. If we can't find it when the bottles start ringing, we're probably going to pull out. So the idea was lifelines and handlines. And I don't even think they use lifelines. It's just everybody stayed on a handline. And, and one guy actually did get lost when he, he got, you know, he sort of got separated from the handline. He got lost. They did get him out and the fire burned for six days. It collapsed into the Holland Tunnel approach, but nobody got killed. You know, you have to learn from the things that occurred to other people. And, and one of the biggest problems with large area buildings is you, is you have a very finite amount of air in that bottle. If, if you think you're going to go in and you're going to be 100 feet in before you decide to look at your gauge, and now your gauge is, is ready to ring, and now they're at a third instead of a quarter, you know, how are you going to get out of that building? You know, you're going to create a mayday, you're, uh, mayday, and you're mayday, and the other end of it is, is people up on the roof. you got trust roofs. I mean, we don't do very well in saving these buildings. Um, the, the biggest saving grace is sprinklers. You look at that. Uh, that large area fire, man, you guys might have even been to it. Where was that big, huge warehouse that burned uh, about two, three years ago? It was the one in Bridgewater, maybe? Bridgewater, yes, Bridgewater. If it, you know, I mean, we're not going to save that building. We're not going to save that building. I don't know, you know, what the tactics and strategies were there, but, you know, um, some buildings are not meant to save. They're, they're going to burn down. It's just the way things go. But the idea is to not jeopardize personnel for a building when we are the only life hazard inside that building and you know that for a fact as an incident commander you got to be very careful about what you're doing with your personnel um, when there is a life hazard um, 
you know, when, it, when there is a lot to risk, then we risk everything. But we need to know the difference. You know, I think another thing too, we actually had a, uh, we had a, a warehouse fire not too long ago in Union. And, um, you know, you mentioned it before, the sprinklers systems, when operation, operational and, and, and working properly, do save a lot of the materials and products in there. But it does also, uh, in that large area building, increase the amount of smoke, uh, you know, filled environment because the sprinklers are now forcing that smoke closer to the ground level. It's harder to see. Um, and one of the things we had there was an elevator shaft that was an unmarked, uh, you know, elevator shaft with a gate open to it. Mm -hmm. And we had a search and rescue crew in there doing uh, a primary search. They came across it. They came over the radio, told command, hey, listen, we've got an elevator shaft here. Uh, be advised it's on the CD corner on the second floor, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and stuff like that, that you may or may not be familiar with because of the size of the structure, uh, you know, doors that may lead to nowhere or drop-offs, things like that. You know, these are all important things we need to make sure that we're, uh, we're recognizing and disseminating to the rest of the department when we're doing our pre-plans and, and everything else. So, Yeah, um, good, a good pre-fire plan and actually paying attention to it and bringing it to the command post, um, building familiarizations and walkthroughs, you know, those are all really, really important things in these large area buildings, you know. Um, unfortunately, when we kill firefighters in bunches, that's almost always where we kill them, in the large area buildings. So, you know, we, we, um, we have to, you know, be careful how far we engage um, without the proper protection. Um, let's talk about a building type that in my opinion, there's absolutely no reason for a firefighter to ever be, uh, be in jeopardy of their lives or safety, and that's vacant and abandoned buildings. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on these vacant and abandoned buildings and what types of strategies we need to be taking and things we need to be considering when we're fighting fires in these types of buildings. Uh, you know, vacant and abandoned buildings are kind of funny things in a way, you know, you, you certainly have to understand that they're not, I mean, I don't want to say not occupied, they will not exhibit the same fire spread characteristics and, and uh, the same dangers as a building that's occupied. So that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. Whether we go in or not is going to depend on some factors. What do we know about the building? Is there any possibility of somebody being inside there? And, you know, what, what I've always tried to do was rather than um, uh, take a residential structure attack sort of posture, I always tried to make the, sort of make the building behave a little bit before we went in. Um, normally there's boards on these things. So you know what? Let's get some charge lines near the front door. Let's get some of the boards off because what happens sometimes is we take the door board off and everybody charges in. Now you have no secondary means of egress. You don't know where the fire is. You don't know what the hazards are. I was always of the mindset of, let's listen, get the lines charged here. Now let's get, the, let's get the boards off and let's see what we got. Let's use our thermal imaging cameras. Let's check what we have inside around the perimeter of the building. If the fire takes off, it takes off. We got the lines in place now. Nobody said we can't hit it from the outside. Um, but I, I've, I've always been of the mindset that be very careful about risking your firefighters and something that's going in a dumpster tomorrow. Again, listen, if there's somebody in there, if the, if the life hazard risk is great, then we risk everything. But I, I can, you know, um, we had our share of vacant building fires in North Hudson. You know, there are places that have more than Patterson, uh, uh, 
Camden, Newark, places like that. But, you know, um, very, very few of them, a very small percentage of them had people inside them when we got there. Um, but that having been said, and people say, no, no, somebody's going to be in there. You have to check. You have to check. Yes, you do. But you can't check at the expense of, uh, of reckless operations and, um, and, and putting people in these buildings, firefighters in these buildings, when you don't have a way for them to get out. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a very tough situation, um, these, these vacant buildings, because it's, uh, people could be in them, you know, especially in the wintertime. Right now, listen, fires are started by three things, men, women, and children, you know? So you always have to have that mindset. You have to temper that with the, um, with the fact that the building could be more dangerous than if you were going into a two-story frame or even an apartment building that, you know, has been, you know, kept up the code, hopefully, et cetera. These buildings are not, you know, so um, I'm not saying don't go in. I'm just saying you should have a, a, a solid vacant building policy. Uh, there should be some things that should be done um, uh, prior to or in concert with um, entry into the building. And uh, I think you need to look to, to make the building behave a little bit um, before you go, you know, throwing, you know, a dozen firefighters in there uh, with, you know, very little egress or knowledge of the building or where the fire is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to what I consider to be one of the most dangerous types of buildings, and that's uh, building under renovations for many different reasons or buildings that have been renovated, right? And we talked about it, we touched on it a little bit, which is, you know, you've got people nowadays uh, and not nowadays. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, right? People are doing additions to their home. They're doing renovations inside. You try and skirt around getting the permits. You add a wall here. You, you know, open up the, the, the wall here to add a more open floor plan. Um, and things are not documented or, or uh, these are missed by us because A, you know, we might not be able to get inside that building. B, the building department might not have any idea about the renovations going on. And, and you don't know the contractor. You don't know what type of uh, methods they're using in, in construction. They could be cheating the system a little bit here, you know, trying to come up with the cheapest possible way. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, buildings that are being renovated, both um, from the standpoint of currently undergoing renovations and how you know that changes the the way that fires are 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 going to be uh, growing and, and building in that, and then let's talk about uh, buildings that have been renovated um, and and what things we need to look out in those types of uh, construction. Well, you know when you when you look at the renovated buildings, first of all, uh, any officer worth his salt when he's driving around this area. He should be on the lookout for buildings that are being renovated. And uh, when they're found, the department should have a mechanism in place to address this, to document it. And you know what? Everybody's got a phone. Take some pictures, bring it back to the department. Uh, and again, here's where you pull up, uh, you know, a, a renovated building awareness program. And you put the pictures on there, you put the address on there, you and you just Listen, everybody loves the pictures, not so much the information. So you throw some pictures up there and you say, hey, take a look at this. Uh, this is the address. Uh, it's being renovated with lightweight trusts um, or, you know, uh, it's, it's being changed from this to that. You know, uh, a, a solid program will uh, eliminate a, a good deal of that. 
while the building is being renovated. Because most of the time, you see a dumpster out in front of the building, the building is being renovated. You see construction material. Uh, it's very, if you ain't seeing, unless they're doing very minor renovations, if you're not seeing in your area buildings that are being renovated, then you're not looking. Because they are, most of the time when they're being renovated, there's dumpsters out front, there's, there's trucks out front. It, there's indications that that's happening. Um, renovations almost never make a building stronger. Uh, people will do it without permits, like you said, you know, beat it, fit, beat it to fit, paint it to match. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> this is, this is unfortunately reality. You know, listen, Vinny Negula was killed in a fire in North Hudson. Uh, what they did was they renovated a building and they put a, um, a thermal paint skylight over a shaft and, and the fire in the shaft uh, created a backdraft in the cockloft and, and uh, Vinny was inside searching and uh, the, you know, the cockloft uh, basically exploded and so did one of the windows from the shaft and he was caught in the flashover. The other guy was able to get out. So yeah, that was a renovation. Um, you look at the uh, you know, Black Sunday, that was a renovation. You know, they had eliminated access to the fire escapes. I mean, I would say, listen, I'm not sure about Union, but in Hudson County, buildings are really old and just about every one of those old buildings probably had some kind of renovations in it. Uh, so you have to always be of that mindset that, you know, what, what could be going on here, you know, but hopefully again, uh, it, it's a departmental responsibility to make sure that people are looking out for renovations. You should have some sort of liaison with the building department. So when something is being renovated, the department should be notified so they can go take a look at it. And then there should be some sort of policy where, you know, if it's in your, your, your first two area, go take a look at it, take some pictures. If you think that's important. Um, and then dis disseminate it out to the department so, so everybody knows. Um, one of the last major alarm fires that I had uh, was uh, a 92nd Street and Kennedy Boulevard in North Bergen, big five-story apartment building. And um, they had renovated that building with um, uh, cell phone towers up on the roof and, and all the cell phone equipment. And, uh, you know, I, I think the fire started in the cell phone equipment. And it, it, the fire was burning in the cockloft. And... Uh, uh, it was burning. We got called on a report of smoke coming from an outlet on the third floor. And when we got there, this is a five-story building. The smoke in the cockloft was so pressurized, I was pushing down to the third floor. And we noticed that there were, it was smoke not only coming out of the outlets, but coming out of the door frames, the light fixtures. I mean, this fire had a big head start. And one of the reasons that we had a hard time working that roof is because the area where the fire was, was where all the big heavy HVAC equipment was up there. So we pretty much burned the whole top of the building off. Uh, the building was then um, uh, renovated and restored. And now that building that had very solid light, solid wooden joist roof now has a laminated I-beam roof. Wow. So it looks exactly the same, but instead of having a, a solid wood joist roof, it's got a laminated wooden I-beam roof. So these are things that occur, you know, it's not just a fire building, it's, it's you know, uh, it's, it's you know, just trying to save the buildings. And, and one of the other things you see uh, people will mistake is wood frame for ordinary. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have an ordinary building and, you know, just because they got a brick veneer in the front, I always tell people, look down the sides. If you got siding on the B, uh, on the, uh, uh, the B and the D side, and even on the C side, you got regular siding on there. That's a wood frame building. That's not a brick building. That's, that's brick siding on the front, basically, you know, or stone siding. You look at all your McMansions, your condos, and townhouses, a lot of them have brick fronts, but you look, they either have some 
uh, vinyl siding on them or along the sides and the rear, they got siding. Those are wood frame buildings, you know, and again, those are lightweight and that sort of thing. But um, that happens a lot when you're dealing with your renovations. Uh, but, you know, if we come across a renovation, um, you know, you would hope that somebody would bring it to the attention of the, everybody on the department. If it's on the scene, an urgent message might be something that's valuable to go out and people need to know about it. You need to get that information out there. You know, um, unfortunately, we find these things by accident a lot. And, uh, you know, you hope the consequences of those findings don't come back to bite us in the ass. Yeah. Renovations are probably the hardest one of all of those buildings that change the rules of the game to recognize. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that we are lucky enough to do in my town, and I know it's uh, um, something that, that's trending across uh, across the country, is, is uh, fire-based EMS, right? So mm -hmm. going to these buildings on a medical call, that's the perfect opportunity for you to do your pre-plan of your residential structures, especially the ones that have had work done to them or are currently undergoing renovations. You get a sneak peek, you know, on, uh, on those other calls, you know, your CO alarms where there's no symptoms or uh, your, your false alarms. It's important for mm -hmm. to make sure that when you're going in, you're going in with a purpose, you know, not only you're doing your size up from the outside, just as if the building was on fire for a routine alarm, but you've got to uh, be aware and, and stay on top of your game when you're entering that structure and, and looking around with a purpose, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's we've got to use those uh, opportunities to our advantage because when the alarm comes in at two o'clock in the morning and it's mm -hmm. a fire, a structure fire, you know, you got to use that knowledge that you're taking from, uh, you know, your earlier calls and, and use them to your advantage. So you know what's going on inside that building. Yeah, so. you know, I was, I was looking, listen, if you're a full contact fire officer, there is no off-duty time when you're on duty. Absolutely. Chief, mm -hmm. let's talk about the last, uh, the last building that changes the rules here, um, structural carcass. Right. So uh, what exactly are we talking about here? We're talking about pre-damaged buildings, buildings that may be getting demoed. Uh, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on structural carcasses. Well, uh, a structural carcass is a building that uh, it's been damaged by the fire. You know, we've been working a building all night. You know, there's nothing left but the bones of the building, like the turkey on Thanksgiving. There's nothing left but the, you know, so when you have, and everybody's seen these buildings, you know, you have these type of buildings and um, the buildings, you know, we've been working this building for hours and hours and we're pouring thousands of gallons of water in the fires, beating the crap out of the building. And then what are we doing? We're going into overhaul. We are um, standing out in front of it. Uh, our rigs are still in the collapse zones. You know, the structural carcass, there have been a lot of firefighters killed in structural carcass buildings. You know, you just take a look at, um, uh, for instance, um, in Pittsburgh, a few years back, they had a church fire, and uh, the only thing left was the steeple, and there was still a little fire burning in there, and a company went inside there, and uh, the steeple collapsed, and uh, I think really two firefighters were killed, and a bunch of guys were injured. Just in Pennsylvania, I think last year or the year before, they'd been fighting a fire for 24 hours, and uh, part of the building was already collapsed, and some guys went inside the building, and the building collapsed further and killed some guys. You know, the last multiple alarm I was on in my career was actually out of town. And uh, um, I wound up uh, going there initially 
Um, and I wound up going there a little bit later as we were wrapping things up and they had been dealing with an exposure that had lit off and uh, it was uh, it was a three story frame. And by the morning time, it was down to like a one and a half story frame. The roof was gone. The third floor was part of the second floor. And we were wrapping up. And uh, I was like, just like shocked to see like this sort of parade of guys with like, you know, pike poles and saws and shovels and rakes and implements of destruction walking and going into the building. And I, I stopped them and I said, what are you guys doing? And like, well, we don't want to be here all day. We're going to mop up. I'm like, mop up what? This is why I wrote this article, by the way. I actually wrote an article on structural carcasses. And, and I was just stunned, and, you know, that, that uh, chief officers would actually allow them or condone this activity. These guys were going in to mop up a building that was, you know, barely standing, you know. So one of the things you got to look at with these structural carcasses is, as you know, there are, there are political issues with these things. As the fire department, we still own the building, you know. Uh, People want to get back in to get things, you know, the, the medication, money, you know, the mayor gets involved, the police are involved. Hey, we need this, we need to get that, you know, when that building is, uh, looks like it's leaning, looks like it's really lost, it's, it's only really standing up by habit, and maybe not, you know, or the police want to get the, uh, the traffic flowing. You know, the only thing that might be holding that building up is that there's no vibrations in the area. Now the traffic starts to roll through, the building comes down. Vinny Dunn actually has a really good video. Uh, it's on YouTube. He was the IC and it was a five story building and they had pulled everybody out. They were across the street. They were just, you know, in the, in the picking up phase and the building just dropped, just dropped. And, uh, you know, nobody got hurt. We had an incident in North Hudson. We had a, a, a night, we had four, four alarm fires at one time. The next morning, I remember we were babysitting the, the very first building that burned. It was actually about four buildings across on, on uh, Central Avenue down in Union City. And we were doing a fire watch and, and I was across the street and all of a sudden the facade and, and the, uh, the lintels over the windows, which were brick, all came down and one just peeled off the top of the building, took down all the awnings, part of the streetlights. You know, nobody was there, thank God. But, you know, these are the things that, that can happen. A building that's been beat up by fire, uh, you know, sometimes the only thing we can do is, is, is just bring the building to the firefighters rather than the firefighters of the building. Tear it down. Let it get on the ground and then we can finish putting it out because when we try to put it out uh, or, can, or, or finish it off, so to speak, you know, that, that may, not, may, may be the wrong decision. And um, there are a lot of firefighters, I know of, of at least nine or 10 that I talk about in the class that I do on this, that were killed in that very same situation. So she so, you know, yeah, don't take it personally, you know? That's what happens. We get emotional with the building. Don't get emotional with a fire building. It's a fire building. It doesn't care. It doesn't know, but it can kill you. Well, listen, chief, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing these nuggets of information with, with us. Um, you know, all great stuff here. And we really need to make it a point to take this information, you know, back to our companies, back to our departments and uh, make sure guys are, you know, on top of their game when it comes to uh, these buildings that change the rules of, of uh, firefighting. So thanks for taking uh, the time today to sit down and talk to me about it. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, be safe out there. Enjoy, keep enjoying retirement. I know you, I know you got a lot of uh, irons in the fire over there, but uh, enjoy your retirement as well and, and uh, keep up the great work, Chief. Thanks, Bill. Remember, Fireground Strategies 4th Edition is coming out and Full Contact Leadership is out. Great. So thank you and be safe. Thank you.
if somebody wanted to real quick, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, be by my email, deputy one at optonline.net. Definitely my email. Or they can message me on Facebook. Like I'm, I'm, I'm findable. Okay. Unfortunately, I'm findable. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Thanks, bro. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another great episode of FMBA Nation. And stay tuned for some more great content to come. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also listen on the NJ FMBA YouTube channel, as well as Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and the Google Play Store. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the FMBA Nation podcast, please email us at nation at njfmba.org.